When you're trying to improve your golf game, Callaway knows you can't hit the ball further by doing the same old thing. It takes unconventional thinking to transform your game, and that's what Callaway did with the new Maverick driver. Maverick drivers were designed using advanced AI. Callaway's supercomputer tested and refined thousands of virtual prototypes until it created Callaway's fastest, most forgiving driver. New distances out there, it takes a Maverick to find it. Explore Maverick drivers at callawaygolf.ca. This episode is part of Post Media's Reopening Canada series, a look at how the country's economy is recovering as the COVID-19 pandemic begins to ebb. Despite diving into a deep recession brought on by the COVID-19 pandemic, Canada's economy is reopening and showing signs of growth. Experts say while the recession was as deep as anyone can remember, it is relatively short-lived, but how long Canada will take to recover is still an open question. I'm Dave Breckenridge, and this is 10-3. I talk with Financial Post columnist Kevin Carmichael about how Canada is bouncing back, what role the government has in helping us weather the storm, and if there is any risk with the mounting deficits that come with pandemic support. Don't forget you can subscribe to this show on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, wherever you get your favorite shows. We'd also love it if you could leave us a rating, a review, and tell your friends about us. So, Kevin, other than the health implications of the COVID-19 pandemic, the shutting down of many sectors of the economy raised concerns about the lasting fiscal impact of the pandemic. As the country has seen the green shoots of things starting to restart again, how do things look in the country? Broad strokes coming out of things. Broad strokes. I'm going to say one Things don't look great, right? I mean, we've just sort of experienced an epic recession, uh, something like nobody living today has really ever seen. There's still millions of people sort of on furlough who may be on semi-permanent furlough, permanent furlough. The economy is uh, well below where it was at the end of 2019. There's no projection that I've seen that sees that getting back to where we were before sometime in early uh, 2022 at the earliest. So we're in the early stages of what, uh, you know, I suppose when we look back at it years from now, uh, a weak period of economic growth. Having said that, though, I will say that I think things are turning around perhaps a little better than, than maybe most thought two or three months ago. You recall at the start of this, uh, people were liberally throwing around the possibility of a depression. Mm -hmm. There were lots of talk about how this could be terrible uh, for everybody, uh, that there might not be any sort of quick recovery from this. But we're seeing a quick recovery. I talked to a venture capitalist uh, earlier this week who said things have been looking up for them since, since April, and that's far sooner than anybody would have anticipated, even in early April, probably. Yeah. So the green shoots are coming. The test, of course, will be you know, whether they keep growing. Um, and it's probably really too soon to say that with confidence, but it does feel like uh, we've got a bit of momentum. What is it about this recovery that is allowing it to happen in some sectors fairly quickly? Is it just the ability to call people back? It's that businesses and companies didn't necessarily go away outright, but everything was just kind of put on hold? Yeah, I think there are two things that are allowing the recovery to sort of happen perhaps quicker than, than we might have thought. One is the fact that this epic uh, collapse in economic activity was matched with an equally epic uh, response from governments and from central banks. So the fact that the central banks almost immediately cut interest rates to zero, 
started creating hundreds of millions of dollars to pump into the economy, into financial markets. That was huge. Uh, it took them months to do that kind of thing during the Great Recession, and they did it in, in weeks this time around. So that made a huge difference. And governments, you alluded to the massive deficit that the Canadian government has run up over these past few months, or I, I suppose the first half of the year. That looks terrible, but I think more terrible would have been what we'd be looking at if they hadn't done that. So the fact that the Canadian government and so many other governments responded aggressively and fairly quickly in doing two things, really, in, um, in ensuring that people had a, a decent amount of money to sort of pay their expenses for at least a short period of time. And companies had an opportunity to stay solvent mm -hmm. through this phase. And, and that was a big difference from the last recession, when really not enough was done to keep companies whole. And we paid for that uh, during the recovery phase when demand started to come back. There simply weren't enough companies left to take advantage of it. So the Canadian economy overall suffered from that. So we've benefited from the government response. We've benefited from the central bank response. And we're benefiting from just a general sort of shift in the economic paradigms, I guess I'll say. One, the shift towards uh, really getting serious about climate change. That's forcing companies to continue investing in new technology and cleaner technology, doing the things uh, that they need to do to bring down their emissions. Uh, they might not be investing the way they would have planned at the start of the year, but they're still doing that. They still see the long-term need to do so. And then the, the, the bigger shift, though, uh, is the shift to a more digital economy. And in fact, the crisis has probably accelerated that. Uh, social distancing, the lockdown showed the necessity really of doing more business online. And therefore, you have lots of companies that are that are gearing up to take advantage of that. They already were doing so. We were already moving that way, but that has really sped up. And so, you know, you've seen the, the tech companies continue to grow and hire and attract capital through this period. So that has also been an important counterweight to all the terrible stuff that we've talked about for the most part for the past few months. Going back to your earlier point about government stepping in and providing assistance more quickly, why do you suppose this time around governments were more eager to step in and help out than they may have been 11, 12 years ago at the start of the Great Recession? What, what's different about this? I think the Great Recession, fortunately, was still in the minds of, of enough policymakers that they still were aware of the mistakes they made a decade ago. They had spent a lot of time over the past number of years thinking about what went wrong uh, or what they could have done better. And as a result, they were ready to go this time. That certainly applied to the central banks. I've written and, and still think that the Canadian government, for sure, was maybe a week or two behind the pace throughout. But still, that's better than, than it was uh, a decade ago. Mm -hmm. So it was really that. The Great Recession surprised a lot of people. I mean, they thought they were doing everything right at the time. And that recovery just took a really, really long time, as you and your listeners uh, are probably well aware. Fortunately, I, I guess our policymakers paid attention to that and realized that maybe they need to hit it harder out of the gate when these events happen. And, and that's what they've done this time. There's a great deal of importance put on government intervention in the case of something as massive as the economic shutdown caused by this global pandemic. But there's a risk attached here, right? You know, we just found out Wednesday that the federal government's now projecting a $343 billion deficit. So how does the government balance that risk? And what does the government do to ensure that the recovery can keep happening without digging a further financial hole for itself? 
Yeah, definitely. There, there is a risk. I mean, there's, there's a strain of thought out there that thinks that if a government can print its own money, like you know the Canadian government does, that uh, you basically can do that for as long as you want and buy yourself out of any problem. But most people don't think that. Most people think uh, sort of standard rules of finance still apply. And so there's a limit to how much a country like Canada can borrow. And that limit will be set, unfortunately, by financial markets. And I say unfortunately, because we don't entirely know where that limit will be. Mm-hmm. So when the, the finance minister presented his update this week, and it's a big number, around $350 billion, and he's huge, bond markets didn't react very much. So that suggests that they're okay with that number for now. But would they be okay with a deficit of $450 billion, $500 billion? I mean, it's, it's just difficult to know. It's, it, and it's, so much of this is comparative too. I mean, so if you're buying debt, and that's ultimately what this will come down to, is that uh, is maintaining the confidence of the people who are buying your debt because that will keep your interest rates at a level that would allow you to sort of finance the borrowing and find a path out of this. So, you know, if, if, if you maintain the confidence of the investing community, then you can probably make your way. But if those people start to think that you're not really serious about controlling your spending, you're not really serious about charting a path back to fiscal sustainability, then they'll punish you and they will uh, they'll refuse to buy your debt, which will force you to jack up interest rates to entice them to, to do so. And that's when we start to get in real trouble. You know, that's the echo of the 90s and the decades preceding the 90s when we really sort of ran up against a, a sovereign debt crisis. That's the risk. It's out there. It's, it's very hard to identify though exactly where it is at this stage. Now, looking at the business community in Canada, what are they hoping to see from government to allow them to keep going? Like, is there a belief that the wage subsidy program is a way to help continue the reopening of the economy? Are there other programs that have been seen to work or seen as being essential to get things going again? The wage subsidy is definitely seen as essential. There's a certain obligation on the part of government to support business because it's government who ordered business to shut down. And the wage subsidy has sort of, I think, been seen by most business associations as a fair compensation for that order. And that's going to be necessary because we talked about the green shoots and it's clear that the economy is starting to come back, but it's going to take time to get it back where it was. And so if you want to keep those companies solvent, if you want them to continue to help you ensure that that people have money in their pockets, you're going to have to help them pay for some of the labor bill because there's not necessarily going to be enough demand or they're not going to be allowed to supply the sort of demand that, that they could. I mean, by that, I mean, they're, they're going to have to keep restaurants at a, you know, below capacity to, to satisfy social distancing requirements and that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. So the wage subsidy is definitely going to be important. It's probably going to have to be adjusted. It's going to have to be adjusted in such a way that probably, you know, encourages companies to bring more people back to work. At the moment, it's really set just really as a stabilizer going to have to rejig it in a way to actually allow companies to sort of continue to move forward, continue to find ways to to be profitable in this new environment. The finance minister did promise to make changes. He didn't say what those would be, but he did say they'd be coming. So they'll be certainly very important and something to watch. Another big part of this, obviously, is getting customers for businesses back to those businesses. People need to spend money again to get out and go to restaurants and participate in the economy. How crucial is behavior returning to normal and how can we coax people to get back to normal? 
Yeah, I'm glad you asked that question because that's to me is like the sleeper issue here, I guess we could say. I've read some stuff around what happened, the Great Depression. We're familiar with all the negatives about the Depression, all the, you know, the, the ridiculously high level of unemployment, the poverty and devastation that went along with that. But uh, even when you have an unemployment rate of around 15, 17%, I mean, still a high number, a relatively high number of people who are still employed. But what happened during the Depression is that people just sort of sunk into this glum mood and introduced what was termed as sort of a new frugality, Mm -hmm. you know, felt bad about the fact that they still had jobs, felt bad about spending money given that all the hardship they were seeing around them. And so that sentiment actually just exasperated the Depression and made it worse because people who had money weren't actually spending it. They were saving it at a time when what was really needed was help, was that boost, uh, was that demand that you were talking about. So we really need to find a way to avoid that sort of thing from happening this time. You know, we have to remember that as bad as a recession was, because it looks like it's over. So while it matched the depression in terms of destruction, it also was extremely short. I mean, this is, this recession is probably going to uh, be recorded as lasting two or three months at the most. Mm-hmm. So there's still a lot of us out there that uh, that have some money to spend, and uh, we should feel confident about spending it. And if we don't, <laughs> we're just going to make it that much harder for those restaurants that we used to go to or the shops we used to frequent uh, to keep going. So it's, uh, it's really important that we keep consumer confidence up somehow, that governments uh, probably find a way to do that. I've heard people talk about, you know, sort of buy local campaigns, that sort of thing. That makes sense to me. Do you layer some other more aggressive incentives on top of that to get people to shop uh, locally? Maybe, but I suspect you also see a lot of companies doing that themselves. But, you know, through that combination with a carrot and then maybe a nudge that, uh, you know, it's not that bad and please don't make it worse by thinking it is. And maybe we can find our way out of this. Now, one thing that I found interesting through this whole pandemic and the shutdown is the way that businesses have adapted to doing things differently to accommodate customers who are concerned about social distance, doing more business online, things like that. And over the last couple of years, there's been a lot of talk in Canada about how the government can kind of stimulate the tech sector, can get, you know, digital enterprises up and running. Do you feel that there's maybe kind of more natural opportunity here to see some of these businesses thrive as uh, companies look for new solutions or new ways of doing business in a way that government may not have been able to do by trying to kind of foster tech hubs and things like that? I do, yeah. I think we might be in a, having a moment here where some good things start to happen. So one of those things is that we, we, we already talked a bit about how you know that shift to a digital economy has continued. We've been seeing that happen for years, but slowly. So difficult to convince, say, a government like that of Alberta to get serious about fostering a, a tech sector that you know, is really a small piece of that province's economy. When you've got the resource economy, they're still generating lots of money, even though, you know, you might see that its future is murky at best. You can still say to yourself, yeah, but it's generating all this revenue. So this is where our focus should be. Now you can see, policymakers will be able to see that these tech companies are in fact generating serious profits and might be able to generate really serious profits if they get a little help from government. And I've talked to a lot of these firms over the last few years, and um, you know they, they don't want handouts per se. It's just the nature of their industry. There's so many governments out there trying to foster 
tech industries, the local tech industries of their own sort of copy or mimic what happened in Silicon Valley, for example, that there's just a lot of incentives out there. So the classic Canadian approach of, of cutting taxes and sort of creating a, a stable economic environment isn't quite enough mm-hmm. because there's always going to be another jurisdiction out there that's willing to throw some money at tech companies to get them to come set up in their jurisdictions and, uh, and grow their businesses from there. You don't want to be stupid about it, but you, I think you do need to play the game. And perhaps given that the the acceleration that we're seeing to a digital economy might make it easier for governments at least to identify, if not the companies, the areas or the subsectors of the digital uh, technology space where they should where they could target investment. And you can do that in a couple of ways. You don't necessarily need to to try to pick winners and losers, but you can make sure that there are opportunities for the most successful companies to get government contracts, for example. Mm-hmm. That's kind of an easy one and, and an important policy tool that governments could use. A, a lot of these tech companies I talk to say that, look, we need a good anchor client to get us going, and then we can take care of it after the fact. And, and the government quite often can be that anchor client. If I've got a, a good thing going with the government of Alberta or British Columbia or the federal government, and I come to you for some investment or, or whatever, you're going to be far more willing to work with me, given the fact that I've got a, a good contract with a public entity. Yeah. So that's something that governments can do, you know, and they can talk to these companies and be more responsive to their needs. I also find, and we've seen a bit of that in the response to the crisis, that the government, certainly in Ottawa, has struggled to understand these newer companies just because they don't do business quite the same way that you know a trucking company might, or a restaurant certainly, or a or a resource company. But uh, but you're right in in zeroing in on that. It's a it's a real opportunity, and the recovery will go much better if we if we find a way to take advantage of the tailwind that's going on in uh, in the shift to uh, to a digital economy. The whole country has been dealing with this for the last three months. We are all watching it very closely to see how the recovery goes. Kevin, thanks for your time. Of course, anytime. 10.3 is produced by Carson Jarama. Theme music by Bryce Hall. Thanks to my guest, Kevin Carmichael. More from him at financialpost.com. I'm Dave Breckenridge. Thanks for listening. <laughs>